0: Uh, I am conscious of the time, but I have something that I need to tell you or or convey to you. And and you hear a lot of times preachers say, I have something on my heart. With all honesty, you don't need to hear what's on my heart. You need to hear what the Lord says. Amen? So with that, I'm going to get right into it. I chose tonight for the title of this lesson or message. Uh, it, it, It starts out as a lesson and depends on how enthusiastic I get, and it ends up being a message. So... We'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I chose tonight for the title a, a word uh, that has become ubiquitous to Christianity. We use it constantly. Um, and there's nothing wrong with the word. I'm not, I'm not inferring that there's anything wrong with it. Uh, it is relevant within the context of our, our actions associated with God. It serves the purpose of of defining our interaction with the Lord. I believe it is used, for the most part, properly within the religious community as a whole. There are uh, exceptions, of course, but I believe for the most part it's used properly. And the word and the title for tonight's message is is Relationship. We kind of like to get cute as ministers with our titles, and... God, I can't imagine, I can't remember if God ever gave me a title first without the message. So if, normally if you don't like the title of my messages, that's my fault. That's been here trying to be cute. Relationship is what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, we use this word constantly in reference to what we are engaged in as Christians. We don't really, not at least, to my knowledge, uh, like to be referred to as simply being religious. We kind of uh, keep that at a distance, but rather we prefer to be defined as individuals in relationship with God. I know whenever I speak to people, to say, they ask me, are you religious? And I understand what they are mean, but I try to do, I'm trying to give them a better definition than I am, and I, I normally tell them, well, I like, to be, say, I like to be called a, a believer or that I'm in relationship with God. It holds power. People understand it. The term religious is believed by many to have negative connotations or perhaps it's just a word that has lost its relevance within the cultures of this world considering that there are thousands of religions across this globe. You can really ask if you're religious, what religion are you? Well, I'm a believer in Christ. I'm, a, I'm in relationship with the only God. I think that's a better definition. Many feel that it is or has become, uh, the word religious, it has become ineffective in its ability to properly define or convey what we really are striving toward in relation to Jesus. Relationship. That hits pretty close to the mark, though, don't you think? We feel that we we understand relationship. That term is something that we can wrap our minds around. Relationship is part of our everyday common life. We already have relationships. That language is understandable, so we use it constantly. We have relationships with our family, we have relationships with our coworkers. We have relationships with our neighbors. We understand relationships. Those are not the same, however, Brother Steve, as your relationship with God. They don't have an eternal consequence or significance. Relationship with God is not common. It is not to be inappropriately equated with our human interactions. And although it is accurate in defining what we should have with the Lord, the Word should be completely understood within its biblical context when we use it in our relation with God. With that in mind, we also have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. I'm not talking about me. I heard my daughter laugh. There is an unavoidable pall, I guess you, that hangs over our nation. It's difficult to speak across a pulpit or a podium in the last few weeks without referencing the unprecedented times in which we live. We are living, and I don't know if you've heard this as many times as I have, we are living in unprecedented times. I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I can't imagine that you have either. We have entered into a time of masks. I had to wear a mask to get a haircut. It was the strangest experience. I could barely hear what the woman was telling me. I didn't know whether to turn or look up. So we live in a time of masks. We live in a time of social distancing. How many people are sick of hearing that word, those two words? Thank you. The solidarity there. We're living a time of, of sanitizers and a renewed awareness of the serious nature of viral infections. Closeness is now something to be avoided. Normal human affection is now considered a threat to health. We are sensitive to our well-being like we've never been before. And we've become responsible. We've been held responsible for the health of other people. And we should offer sympathy to those who have lost loved ones and those who have perished because of a disease that very few people really understand. Unessential has become a word with a new meaning in our society. People's livelihoods have been destroyed. Futures have become uncertain, and unfortunately, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, fear has now taken root in believer and unbeliever alike. While this idea of a new normal... that's two more words that I'm tired of hearing. While this idea of a new normal is being insinuated into the national consciousness of America, cities and hearts burn. Injustice and rank cruelty spark division and further indifference to human life and dignity. These are very serious things that are occurring in our world and in our very own communities. Their relevance should not be dismissed, and their lasting impact on our society cannot be minimized. Unfortunately, these conditions do not exist as a replacement to the normal noise of our lives. Everything else in your life didn't stop meaning things when all of this started to happen. You still have bills to pay. Amen? We continue to work toward our own goals, driven by our own ambitions. Those things have not uh, lost their relevance or importance to our lives. But not one of those things, not a single one of those things rises to the importance of your soul. Everything that I just spoke about, everything that I just enunciated and talked about, and we all agree on, that are very serious and they've changed our lives, not a single one of those things is as important as your soul. They may affect your life, have mine, but they're still not worth your soul. They may impact your health but they're still not worth your soul. They may damage or change your plans for your future, but they're still not worth your soul. They may grieve your heart and offend you at a very deep level. They may make you angry, but they're still not worth your soul. We need to remember our soul's have an eternal destination, an eternal residence. And and that eternal residence is not determined by the events which we live through, but rather our relationship with our eternal, sovereign God. The events of our time have the potential to distract us, and they have. And they're not going to change. I've heard our pastor say things are not going to get any better. They have the potential to distract us, and they have. The circumstances around us have the potential to create or foster fear. They have that potential, and guess what? They have. Which brings us to the hard truth. Both the distraction and the fear speak to the foundation, health, and veracity of our relationship with God. Let me, let me repeat that. Both the distraction and the fear speak to our, the health of our relationship with God. So tonight I'm going to talk a little while about what relationship with God really is, what it is composed of, and the absolute necessity, ladies and gentlemen, of getting it right. You have no real choice other than to determine whether or not your relationship with God is, is healthy when you, compare, when you compare it to the alternative and eternity. My text tonight comes from the mouth of Jesus himself. God incarnate said this. Within the word of God, this scripture is probably one of the most sobering statements made by our Lord. If you want to get right down to it, it's terrifying. If it doesn't cause you some concern, You might want to reevaluate what you think of this word. It is contained within the Sermon on the Mount, which spans three chapters in the book of Matthew. We will be reading from the seventh chapter, starting at the 21st verse. Matthew 7, 21 says this. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, this is Jesus talking. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Look at all we did in your name, Jesus. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus in Matthew 7 is not speaking or delivering truth in a parable. There is a parable with with similar language in Matthew chapter 25, which uses the actions of ten virgins to reiterate the message spoken plainly in this scripture. But before Jesus ever talked about the parable, before he ever gave the parable, he felt it was so important that he spoke plainly to the people around him of an event that is actually going to happen. This is not potential. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying tonight. This is not something that could happen. Jesus is saying in this scripture, that this is actually going to happen. Someone who thought they had relationship with Him, somebody who went to church, somebody who taught Bible studies, is going to stand before God Almighty and think they have a resume for their salvation. And they're going to be told, I never knew you. Depart from me. And at that moment in their life, they're not going to be looking at the gates of heaven, but rather at the gates of hell. There are a lot of important things tonight going on, church. This is the most important. The words spoken by Jesus is In the flesh, God in the flesh is plainly telling those surrounding Him and and by extension all of future humanity what will actually take place at some time in the future. Individuals will stand before Him having entered into eternity with a concept of relationship that was brutally incorrect. Brutally, savagely incorrect. Their idea of relationship was unbalanced and missing an essential component. Now I'd like to share with you something that might help you understand. I have, for the last 26 years, a very beautiful wife. She is sitting right there, looking at me, not knowing what I'm about to say. I'd like to share with you how we met and and, and a little bit about our courtship i met ethel at a a fellowship meeting i had we were both 18 years old and i was just really getting serious about my relationship with god and she had been serious for ages we were both uh, my church was it was hosting the fellowship meeting and and she was coming there because the pastor had come from her church as kind of an act of solidarity and support and I was sitting on the back pew. This is no offense to you, those of you sitting on the back pew. I sat on the back pew at 18 years old because it was cool. It was cool. My, this lovely lady walked in and she was completely uh, oblivious to me. Completely oblivious. Indifferent. I later found out she didn't even like me after we first met. She was very wise. She, she walked right past me. I didn't even exist. But I was smitten. This, this graceful, beautiful person. Without even trying, she had me. So I began, I began a reconnaissance and intelligence gathering mission. So that I, so that so that once we were married, she could think it was her idea. I began to learn things about her. I began to ask questions. I was interested in relationship with her, so I needed to know things about her. I wanted to know what she liked. I wanted to know what she didn't like, other than me. I wanted to know what her aspirations were. What was she planning for? What was she working to, toward? I wanted to know those things. I did this so I knew how to approach her and interact with her and eventually go beyond the simple but essential understanding of the facts of Ethel to actually begin a relationship with her. Those facts helped me to understand our compatibility, they illustrated the path forward and helped me to know about the woman. I would eventually know as my best friend and my wife of 26 years. But ladies and gentlemen, if I had just stopped at the facts of her life, I would not have been in relationship with her. I would have been standing on the periphery of her life as an admirer, not as a husband. And at some point in this interaction, she began to get to know me. And she liked me enough To say yes all those years ago, we forged our relationship by understanding one another's character. But then by speaking and by listening and by interacting, we listened, we learned, and we shared. Facts give us the essential way forward to relationship but they are not the totality of the desired experience. Facts give us composition. They don't give us relationship. Relationship isn't one-sided. It is not accomplished with one individual knowing all aspects of their partner, while their prospective partner knows nothing about them. You need to know about Jesus. I can tell you that I'm a preacher, that I'm a husband, that I'm a father, that I'm a conservative. But knowing those things, you really still don't know who I am. You don't know me. You don't have a relationship with me. There's a principle here. Relationship with God at its foundational level is composed of two parts. Knowing about God and knowing God. Knowing about God, but also knowing God. Those are not the same things. We sometimes treat them as they are. Sometimes we think knowing about God, being able to describe where he went and when he was born and, and all knowing all these facts that are important, sometimes we think that's relationship with God. But by themselves, they are not. You do need to know about God, though. If we are to approach the Lord, we must ascertain through His Word the path that He has provided for us. We are blessed that he has given us both map and compass to him. It hasn't been left up to us. Humanity in its fallen state has a devious carnal nature that wars against and struggles against the holy God. We devise pathways that approximate truth but are fashioned by our own hands that are bent to our own will. You can devise what you think is the way to God. But at its core, it's not if it doesn't come from this book and if it's not accurate to what it says. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We need to accurately understand his nature. We need a clear idea of his character. We need an appreciation of those things He loves and of those things that He despises. For you and I to have an actual, accurate relationship, we need to see and be aware of as many facets of His being as He allows us to know. You have to know God. This book cannot sit on your bedside table gathering dust year after year after year and you think you have relationship with God He is revealed in the pages of this book There is the absolute importance the absolute importance of sound doctrine You have to know what the Word says. Our pastor, as magnificent as he is as a teacher and preacher, and he is, cannot impart to you all the knowledge and truth in the Holy Bible. Brother Bunch and Brother Cooper and Brother Wheeler and myself cannot imbue you with every nuance and facet of the Word of God. You have got to dig that up on your own. 2 Timothy 2, 15-19 says this, and we know it. We can quote it. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Unto God! Not pastor! You're to study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun. Let's go on and read. Let's not stop there but shun profane and vain babbling, for they will increase unto more of godliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth, verse 18, listen to this, who concerning the truth have erred. You can make a mistake if you're not careful. This is not casual reading. This is not a novel. This isn't fiction. This is the Word of God. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, overthrew the faith of some. Nevertheless, the nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal: the Lord. Knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that identifies himself with Christ depart from iniquity. You must develop an understanding of God's word. You, you must become fluent in the truth within these scriptures. The pathway to Him is revealed within His pages. The stunning beauty of His nature is open to us within His Word. We quote verse 15, but do we appreciate the fact that just a few verses later it's revealed that knowing about God, knowing the essential doctrines of this Word, are a necessity to prevent. Knowing about God places us on a foundation so that God can know about us. Paul wrote this about a people who example the appropriate tendencies of the follower of Christ. Acts verse 17, 10 through 11 says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Beria, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These people, these people were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They liked the preaching." and searched the scriptures daily to determine whether those things Paul said matched up with the book. One commentary said this about the Barian's noble character. This noble character manifests itself in two ways. There is a great eagerness Literally all eagerness to receive the message, yet the people's enthusiasm was not gullibility. For they subjected Paul's message, the word of God, to thorough scrutiny. Daily they met to examine the Old Testament scriptures to see if, if the gospel's declaration squared with the word. This examination parallels the best in human jurisprudence, unbiased, investiga- unbiased investigation to get to the truth. We have the most precious text in the history of mankind in our possession. And yet, how often do we stand amazed at children who can quote more of its content than we can? Do we love God? Do we love God? Jesus said in John 14 and 15, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. How will we know about his commandments unless we know about his word? First John 2 and 5 says, but whoever keeps the word, whoever keeps the word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. We live in dark times, and David understood what it took to, to say, sane. In dark times, he said in Psalms 119-105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light unto my path. When you ingest his word, when you dig up its truth, you learn these, these, these essential facts about the Lord. God is holy. Our Lord is singular. There's none other like him. He is repulsed by sin. Sin is destructive to connection to God. Hell is real. Salvation comes by, the grace, by grace through faith based on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That atoning sacrifice is contained within the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. We obey the gospel through repentance, Baptism in the name of Jesus and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Our holy, righteous God wants, desires to forgive you. God is love, but he is not only love. When you learn about God, you will discover things which will point your heart like a compass needle finding magnetic north toward the path that he specifically determined. When you know about God, you learn that it is his way, not your way. That's the importance of knowing about God. But what about knowing God? Isn't that the same thing? No. Knowing about God is only one component of relationship with the Lord. There is more to relationship with Jesus than simply knowing he exists. Having an awareness of the Lord does not mean you actually walk with him. Let me repeat that. Having an awareness of God does not mean you actually walk with him. We live in a world with an awareness of God, a concept of the Almighty, yet this world rejects the holy in place of the profane. Churches are constructed, churches, entire churches are constructed to satisfy egos, to flaunt wealth and entice the carnal man to more carnality. We sometimes act as though we only like the idea of God. We are content in finding our own way, carrying our own burden, or relying on our own power. Listen very clearly. Knowing about God is absolutely essential to relationship. But knowing about God is not enough. Standing in the street, looking through the store window, and reading about that thing, whatever that thing may be that you want Knowing everything about it does not mean you are actually in possession of it. We can sit on Pentecostal church seats and can sing worship songs until we run out of breath. But at the end of time, at the end of time when we stand before Him, when we stand before a holy God, we can still hear, Depart from me, I never knew you. Let's look again in our text. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, 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 Lord. They got the title right. They knew who they stood before. They know who they are going to stand before. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth, doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. There's the revelation, ladies and gentlemen. That is the key. It's essential to know about God. But once you know, you have got to act on that knowledge. I can tell you the plan of salvation every single day. But until you bend a knee and repent, it doesn't mean you have relationship with God. Many will say to me, many, that is so, that is so sad. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. God, we did it all. I was active in my church. You have to remember something. The name of God has inherent power and capability. It is. It has that power and capability independent of you. You're not the key. This verse of Scripture, by expansion and application to the current church culture, is saying, Hey, Lord, I taught Sunday school, and I taught it exactly from the Pentecostal publishing house curriculum. I never deviated from one single pamphlet. Did it right. Jesus, I sang perfectly on the praise team. Every song was approved by the worship leader, not even key. I did it right. God, I created beautiful messages. When I stood behind a pulpit, I, I created magnificent messages. I never deviated from the doctrine. Lord, I never missed a day at church. And I tithed faithfully. I even gave more than 10%. Lord, I dressed the standard. Man, did I look Pentecostal. I never deviated what was considered godly or appropriate. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. I don't know about you. But I feel the presence of God in this place right now. I wasn't given this message to fill time or to tickle ears. Everything I just articulated to you occurs primarily within the confines of the church building. The question is this I know what you're doing but what's living in your heart? What's living in your heart? What other than God is residing in the temple? Do we listen to the preached and taught word only to leave harboring the same lusts, continuing in the same adulteries, nurturing the same hatred toward our brothers? Do we go through the motions of our church without renouncing the love of money or materialism? nor forgiving our neighbor? Do we refuse to relinquish our anxieties and fear to our Almighty God? And reject, do we reject resolution to be more charitable and forgiving in our judgments? Ladies and gentlemen, we can give an accurate Bible study. And you should. You've got the material available to you. But if we harbor hate within our heart, do we really know God? Do we secretly despise our neighbor because of their race? Or because they have a little more than us? Or maybe a little less? I don't want to associate with them. If that mentality is alive and well within us, if it informs our behavior, does he really know us? Jesus said this. When questioned by a scriptural authority of the time, that person asked him, what's, uh, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus answered, God answered him and said, Thou shalt love the Lord, love the Lord, love him. With all of your heart and with all of your soul. Not with the leftovers, not with the residual, but with all of it. With all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. As thyself, there is none other commandments greater than these. You love God, but do you love your neighbor? When God knows us, when God knows us, and when we know God, there is a change, ladies and gentlemen, that takes place within us. We begin to act differently because we begin to think differently first john 4 7 through 14 says beloved i'm gonna skip around some of the scriptures beloved let us love one another for love is of god and everyone that loveth is born of god and what knoweth god he that loveth not knoweth not god for god is love Verse 12 says this, No man hath seen God at any time if we love one another. God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. How Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and then he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. You have got to have the indwelling spirit of God. Let me be extremely clear tonight. You can know the right things to say. You can know the right way to look. You can be covered in Pentecostal camouflage. But that doesn't indicate relationship with God. God sees beyond the exterior and through our carefully constructed subterfuge. For the Lord... Seeth, the word of God says, not as a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. There's a glaring example of the awareness of Jesus without relationship with Jesus in the Bible. Name was Judas Iscariot. We know the end of Judas, but but do we really pay attention to the beginning and, and three years of his life? Judas followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. He was a disciple of the Lord. He functioned as a disciple. He functioned as a disciple. The Scripture never said that every time they did something, he was off on the side scheming. He was an eyewitness to the miraculous manifestation of God's power. He saw what went on in church. He saw people slain in the Spirit. He saw people being moved by the Spirit of God. He was given by Jesus power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. You can read it in Luke chapter 9, verse 1. He was taught truth from the very mouth of God. Yet in the end, he was motivated and interested in something other than true fellowship and relationship with the Lord. He was motivated by greed and carnal enticements. He... Many, theolo- many theologians believe had an agenda, and expectation that was incompatible with Christ. But if I can put it in our terms, that man went to church. And he saw the things that God did in church. And he may have prayed for people. And he saw God do something in their life. But that man's going to split hell wide open. Again, knowing about God is not enough. Standing on the periphery, unmoving, while His Spirit beckons, and not submitting ourselves to that call, endangers our souls to hell. The next time you feel the Spirit of God in a service, I hope you remember this message. When you feel that drawing of His Spirit, when we're sitting on the pew, and and the preaching's going forth, and, and we feel the move of God, and... And something is pulling at our hearts, and the whole time that God's calling to us, we sit on the pew unmoving. I hope you think about this message, because your soul hangs in the balance. The pathway to knowing and being known by God is, is illustrated within His Holy Word. I'm not going to be much longer. It begins with understanding that God is real. God is real, ladies and gentlemen. We are sinful, and He calls us to repentance. We must acknowledge, we must yield our will to His. Transitioning transitioning from acknowledgement of truth to obedience of truth. We must relinquish those things that we are holding on to, those secret things, not only by us. Those things that hinder us from bowing our knee and submitting our will to God. The material of this world will not purchase salvation. Neither personal philosophies nor political movements, regardless of how legitimate, can be substituted for holy truth. There will be no debate with God when we stand before Him. The legitimacy of those things that, are, that were substituted for relationship with the Lord will not compel Him, no matter how important they were to us, will not compel Him to abandon His nature and abandon His word. Our perfectly constructed agendas will not persuade Him to know us. Personal plans, political movements, Social reform can certainly exist in a person's life. But first, 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 there needs to be relationship with God. Being accurately in relationship with the Lord is accomplished through the revelatory action of His Word that you need to know. And the transformative action of his spirit. Talk to him. You want to be in relationship with God, you need to know about him. But you got to talk to him. And when you talk to him, ladies and gentlemen, you need to listen to him, you need to interact with him. God is not a cosmic vending machine. You need to talk to God like He's your friend, like He's your Father, like He's your Savior. You need to share your dreams. You need to share your aspirations. You need to share your fears and your failures. And once you do those things, you need to obey when He calls, when He speaks through His Word and through His Spirit. I'm going to close with this. Being engaged in the work of the kingdom is a consequence or natural progression of relationship. Being engaged in the work of the kingdom is a consequence or byproduct or outgrowth of being in relationship with God. Once you're in relationship with Him, you want to do something for Him. I love standing behind pulpits and podiums and witnessing to people and giving Bible studies and praying for people. You know why? Because I believe that Jesus is real. And I want somebody else to know that. I don't want them to go to hell. Engagement in the church is an outgrowth of relationship with God. You're not trying to impress me. And you shouldn't be trying to impress pastor. You should be trying to please God. I hope this is okay. Being engaged in the work of the kingdom is a consequence of relationship. We do the things we do because we are called to them and because we love Jesus and we want to please him. It does not eternally profit us to simply go through the motions expected of those who are in relationship with God. Our connection with Him must be authentic, and it must be genuine. It must be birthed from accurate knowledge about God and deep, consistent, prayerful knowledge of God. I mentioned at the beginning of this message the the state condition of this world. I also mentioned the distraction and the, the fear that it has generated within the church community. There is an antidote to the poison of this world. It's composed of two parts, and it has one name, and that is relationship. Will you stand with me tonight? I know there's no cotton candy in this message. I like that term. But there's truth in it. And it's valuable to your soul. It's Bible. Can we lift our hands? Can we tell the Lord that we want to know Him accurately? That we want to know everything we can about Him? And that we want Him to search our hearts? And look deeply within us into every crevice of our soul. Every place within every dark corner of our mind. And can we find a place of repentance somewhere there is here in this church or when you get home or in your car. So that you can deliver to God those things that are obstacles to, to Him. So that He can forgive us and renew us in his spirit and relationship. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, dear God, tonight. I thank you for your spirit that I feel, Lord Jesus. I know, Lord God, that you are here. I know that you love those, these people. I know that you want them to be saved, and I know that you want them to be in relationship with you, dear God. Draw us, dear Lord. Never stop drawing us, Lord Jesus, to that altar of repentance in our lives, dear God. Help us to value relationship, Lord Jesus, as the precious treasure that it is. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, everybody say amen. Praise God. Thank you. God bless you.